All right, good morning, everybody. Let's jump into our passage this morning. So if you'll stand as we read God's Word, we're going to read um, Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 7, and we're going to finish the chapter um, through verse 18. Uh, This is the Word of the Lord. Um, Solomon writes, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. It seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach you and your word, God, uh, we're grateful um, that you, um, God, you, you write in your word. Um, Father, Jesus prayed that you would sanctify us in your truth, and your word is truth. Um, So God, I pray that you would do that over these next few minutes. God, sanctify us. Make us more like your son. Um, By hearing the truth, obeying the truth, God, illumine the truth to us. Uh, God, I'm grateful um, that the spirit who wrote these very words through the inspiration, um, through, through the human author of Solomon, inspired by your spirit, God, that same spirit is in us if we're in Christ. I mean, it can illumine the truth of this word to us. And God, if we're not in Christ, that same spirit can cause us to be born again this very morning. God, through receiving the gospel by faith. So God, I pray that both would happen this morning. God, accomplish your purposes, further your kingdom, uh, make much of yourself over these next few minutes. Um, God, guard me and protect me from making any of this um, about human wisdom or cunning or glory. Um, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat. Um, we are picking up seven verses in, and uh, to not belabor the point, um, just for the guests in the room, we've been faithfully walking through this book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon has solely been focused on life under the sun. The phrase under the sun is the most repeated phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. So he's not talking about the eternal state. He's not talking about eternal life. He's not talking about all of those things. He is solely focused on life as man sees it. Life down here, under the atmosphere, under the stars, just life on planet earth. Um, Really, the secular view of life, apart from God. Um, He mentions God a few times. Um, This book is not absent of God, but the focus really is about um, trying to find worth and value and meaning in life under the sun. And Solomon's assessment is you'll never find it. 
You won't find it in money. You won't find it in a career. You won't find it in your job. You won't find it in a relationship. That if you're looking for meaning under the sun, like lasting worth and value and meaning, there's great things under the sun. Don't get me wrong. But if you are trying to be fulfilled by something under the sun to where you have no need, you have no lack, Solomon says you're never going to find it. And as we've been talking about um, in this series, if you try to find your worth or your meaning in something, um, you're going to crush it. You will crush whatever that thing is with the weight of your desires and the weight of your expectations. That if you're trying to find your worth in the success of your children, you will break them with the weight of your expectations that you put on them. If you're trying to find your worth in your marriage, you will break your spouse and burden them with the expectations that they have to satisfy your deepest longings. They can't do it. Have you met another human, right? My wife should not expect me to satisfy her deepest longings of her soul. I can't do it. I can't provide that. But Christ can. There's meaning, there's worth, there's value above the sun. And Chris Rivera beautifully walked us through the first six verses of Ecclesiastes chapter nine last week. And if you missed it, please, wherever you get your podcast, search Mission Church Carrieville and listen to that message. Because Chris beautifully walked us through this idea of religion and irreligion and how Solomon has been faithful to keep us from falling into one of two ditches uh, with our money. Don't put your hope in it, but also don't forsake it because it's a gift from the Lord, your job. Don't find your worth in your job, but also don't quit your job right? The response of, hey, my job's not going to fulfill me is not, okay, then I guess I won't work. Solomon says, then you won't eat. And God's created you to work. You're not created for your job, but you're created to work your job. You're created for Christ, but you're also created to work. So work your job as if you're working for the Lord and not for men. And at every topic, Solomon has said, hey, don't find your worth in it, but don't completely abandon it. And Chris talked about um, righteousness and good deeds and religious what the world would call religious works. And he beautifully unpacked how our, our obedience to Christ is not so that we would get any more earthly blessings. This isn't a, a barter system where we're trying to scratch God's back with our behavior so that he'll you know, extend some more blessings our way. That if you're here this morning and you attended because you're trying to please God with your church attendance, you don't understand the gospel. That the reason we gather, if you're a guest with us, I'm so glad I get to explain this. The reason that we gather this morning, the reason that we wake up early and we get dressed and we get our kids ready and we go through the hassle of getting children in the car and to church and to gather and the reason we lift our hands is not because we're really trying to motivate each other to leave here and earn God's love with our behavior. We're not firing each other up to go and fulfill a to-do list, hoping that God might smile at us when the week is over. The reason that we wake up and the reason that we gather with this church family and we get ready and we get our kids in the car is because we know that we can never earn God's approval. And he's freely given it to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's worth getting up for and gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ and lifting our hands and rejoicing in. We gather to remind ourselves of that reality. We gather to encourage and minister to one another in light of that reality. And then we scatter to go and proclaim to our community, that, hey, the work's finished. You don't have to earn it. You can never deserve it. It's a free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's why we're here this morning. It's because we're sinners. And we know that we could never do enough to save ourselves. It was Colin's testimony. I did not have the power to conquer my own sin. 
but Christ came and he has conquered it for me. So now I lift my hands, now I surrender, now I obey, not to get anything else from God, but, but, but solely because of what he's already given me in his son. He's given me everything. He's given me an inheritance. He's given me eternal life. He's given me adoption into his family. He's given me forgiveness and redemption. You name it. He has freely given me. Ephesians 1 says all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are given to us in Christ. That's worth lifting our hands for. That's why we gather. That's why we remind each other of the gospel. That's why we minister to each other in the gospel. So we don't obey to get anything else from God, but then you know the other ditch would be, well, if my obedience doesn't get me anything else with God, then I just won't obey. And Chris beautifully talked about, no, that our obedience to Christ matters. Yes, our good deeds don't return any extra blessings. Yes, our obedience isn't to try to get more favor with God, but our obedience matters. So Solomon is going to tell us, okay, what do we do now? What do we do with life down here? And he's gonna pick up in verse seven. As we, as we respond to Christ, as we obey Christ, as we follow after him, as we don't um, lift our chin to the unbeliever, but as Chris talked about, as we, we pray and we weep over the unbeliever, we, we labor in anguish to share the gospel with the unbelievers in our families, in our workplace, in our community. But what do we do down here? In the midst of circumstances that aren't always pleasant, Solomon's been so careful to tell us that sometimes the, the obedient suffer and the disobedient seem to be um, doing great and flourishing, that, that the righteous and the unrighteous, the rich, the poor, it doesn't matter that, that suffering befalls all of us, that we all experience pain and brokenness and trial in this life. So what do we do in the midst of circumstances that aren't always pleasant and that we can't always understand and if we're not obeying to try to get better circumstances, how do we live as we obey? Solomon's gonna pick up in verse seven, and this is what he says. I love this. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Solomon's response is, hey, enjoy your life. He's told us multiple times in this book, enjoy your life. And he's gonna tell us even more about what that means. But if you've noticed, one of the patterns in this book is essentially life under the sun is hard. It's painful. Solomon has been very careful to show us the brokenness and the emptiness and just the, the pain of life under the sun. So he says, hey, life under the sun is hard, but fear the Lord. Don't put your hope under the sun. Put your hope above the sun. Find your meaning above the sun, but then enjoy your life under the sun. It's a gift from God. Your job, your health, your wealth, all of those things are freely given to you by God. What do you have that God has not given you? Everything you have, the breath in your lungs is a gift of the grace of God. So Solomon, all throughout the book, is life under the sun's heart. Fix your gaze above the sun, but then enjoy your life. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. And it's no surprise that here in verse seven, that's Solomon's conclusion yet again. And I love this. How oppressive is God, right? The, the, the secular world, is God is so oppressive and so mean, he's literally commanding us to enjoy our lives. Enjoy it. It's a command from the Lord. Hey, enjoy your life. Man, so oppressive. Commanding us to enjoy. If only we had the faith to trust him. It's not our inability to enjoy, it's, it's a lack of faith. 
that causes us to not enjoy our life. In Ecclesiastes, all of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's told us that God's in control of every circumstance. He's in control of the injustices. He's in control of the righteous and the wicked. He's in control of the rich and the poor. He is in control of everything. So trust him and enjoy the life that he's given you. It takes faith to trust God and enjoy the life that he's given us. But so many times we let these other circumstances get in the way of our joy, get in the way of our enjoyment of this life. We believe the lies that Solomon has been careful to expose, that if I just had more money, I would actually get to enjoy my life. If I just had a little bit more time or margin in my schedule, I could really enjoy my life. If we could just get through this next season, then we'll get to enjoy our life. We see this most often in children, right? If I can just turn 13 and be a teenager, then I'm gonna enjoy my life. Then you get to 13 and that didn't work. If I can just get to 15 and get my permit, then life is gonna be perfect, right? I can drive a car with my mom in the next seat. Um, And then you get to 15 and you're like, that clearly didn't work and I don't want my friends to see me. If I can get to 16, then I'm gonna enjoy my life. Then you get to 16, if I can get to 18, then I'm an adult, right? I can vote and those kind of things. Um, Then life is gonna, all that it's meant to be. Then I can get to 21 and then 25. And then after 25, you're like, if I can get back to 21 and 18, right? And so many of us, We let all of the circumstances of this life get in the way of our ability to enjoy it. And God's commanding you, hey, enjoy your life. Yes, it's broken. The scripture is really honest about that. Yes, there's injustices from our point of view on the earth. Yes, there's there's trouble that befalls the people who seem to be following after the Lord and the wicked seem to be prospering. And all of Ecclesiastes is God saying, I'm in control of every single circumstance. Ecclesiastes 3, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God is saying, I'm in control. Put your hope not in this life. Put your hope in me and enjoy the life I've given you. Enjoy the lot that I have given you. And then he says this, here's why. For God has already approved what you do. Now, let me be very clear. This is not God giving his universal stamp of approval on whatever you wanna do, all right? That's not what it's saying here. This verse isn't saying go do whatever you want because God approves it. What Solomon is saying is that God has approved what he's just been talking about, that you enjoy your life. He says, go and do it because this is God's plan for you. Everything that he's given you, he's given to you for you to enjoy. God's approved. He takes pleasure in you enjoying your life. Fear him and enjoy the relationships that he's given you. Enjoy the health that he's given you. Enjoy the job that he's given you. Enjoy the the hobbies that he's given you. Enjoy them. I love this sermon, right? I get to get up here and tell you to enjoy your life. It's amazing. Jesus, scripture commands it. And it's so counterintuitive to what the world thinks. So many people think that becoming a Christian is just forfeiting joy, right? Hey, I... I'm a Christian, you know, we don't have much fun. Like every now and then there's a really good PG movie that comes out and we really love it, you know, those kind of things. Or, you know, we go to a really good Christian comedian or a really good Christian, like all of those kind of things. Christianity gets such a bad rap that it's forfeiting joy. Hey, we don't do those things. We don't watch those things. We don't this, fill in the blank. And Solomon is saying, God has approved that you enjoy your life. So enjoy a great meal. Have you ever thought about the miracle of taste buds? Literally, whose idea was that? God's. 
He could have literally just created food to be tasteless sustenance that you just, you know, it's like filling up your car with gas. You just come in, take some food, and it keeps your body functioning. But he gave you taste buds. Why? Solely for the purpose of enjoying and not enjoying food. How amazing is that? He says, enjoy it. Eat a good meal. Enjoy a great vacation. Enjoy a great movie with your family. Find a great hobby. Listen to great music. Go to a great game and order some great nachos and stand up and cheer for a great team. If only we had a good coach. Um, Make great memories. Travel and see the amazing nature that God has created. Literally, the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means delight. God created humanity to enjoy all of the creation. That was God's design before our sin twisted and corrupted and marred and perverted all that God has given us to enjoy. And now, just like the watching world, we are so quick to take a good thing that God's given us and make it a God thing. To not just enjoy a hobby, but to find our worth and our identity in a hobby. And then it becomes destructive. To not just enjoy pleasures of this life, but to try to find our worth in them. Not just enjoy the job that he's given you, but to to try to find your significance from your job day in and day out. We take great things that God has given us to enjoy and we make them God things. And that's when our lives become destructive. To put something upon the pedestal of our worship and saying, this is what defines me. This is where I get my identity from. This is where I get my joy, my happiness from. And if you put anything in that place other than Christ, you will be left empty and you'll honestly become a slave to it. You'll have to keep going back to it. If it's a drink, if it's alcohol, if it's a substance, if it's work, you name it. Work is just a clean drug that our society approves of. But you just keep, have to go back to it because this is where I feel like I'm somebody. This is where I feel like I'm important. This is where I feel like I matter. Christ is the only one that can make you feel that way forever. And here's the thing. You can't, I would argue biblically, you can't actually enjoy this life until you truly know where, how everything fits. The believer, the Christian, is the only one that can truly enjoy life for what it is. Because you can't enjoy this life until you first understand who you are and who, you, who created you and what you're created for and what's wrong with you and what the Almighty has done to redeem you and what every circumstance in this life is about. That if you think every circumstance in this life is for your earthly temporal happiness, you're gonna be disappointed. The scripture says God's working all things for his glory and for our good. Not our happiness. Not everything I want for me is good for me. God's working all things, the great things and the sufferings in my life for what's most good for me. What's most good for me is that I become more like Jesus. That's what's most good for me. But if we don't understand who made us and why he made the world and what's wrong with us and what what God has done in Christ then we'll never enjoy this life the way that it was intended to be enjoyed. We will take good things and we will make them God things. We'll take good gifts from the Lord and we will worship them. And they will let us down every time. But Solomon says this in verse eight. Let's keep going. He says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. What a sentence, right? Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. 
that he's given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Let me address the clothes and the oil. The, the white clothes and the oil, he's not talking about temple worship here. He's not talking about holiness here. He's just talking about enjoyment. He says, wear some nice clothes. Enjoy the clothes and the, the life that God's given you. The oils there, he's talking about perfumes. He's saying, wear the nice clothes. Enjoy your life. Go places. Have fun. Put on the perfume. Enjoy it. Who do you enjoy your life with? What does he say? Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Man, again, what an oppressive command, right? Hey, enjoy your life with your spouse all the days of your life. And the word vain there is not meant to be negative. It's just meant to remind us that, hey, it's not guaranteed. It's fleeting. It's passing us by. Scripture often refers to our lives as a mist, as a vapor. That's what the word vain there means. It just means mist. It means vapor. It means it's, it's coming and going. It's, it's passing through. But what an amazing command. And if you don't have a spouse in here, just remember Solomon's talking generally here. He's not commanding everyone that you have to have a spouse. We have to read this text in light of the other texts in Scripture. But what a command. Enjoy life with your spouse. Solomon telling us, Here's who you enjoy your life with. So what can we take away from this verse? Don't let anything get between you and your spouse. This is who God created you to enjoy life with. If in his providence, he's allowed you to be married. He who finds a wife, Proverbs says, finds a good thing. That it's a gift from the Lord. Do not let anything get between you and your spouse. Enjoy life with them. Build a great life with one another. Build a great relationship with one another. And cut out anything that would hinder that relationship. Cut it out. Anything that's hindering your ability to enjoy life with your spouse. Gotta go. According to Solomon, this is who you were created to enjoy your life with. The spouse that God has given you. Um, Alexander the Great um, led the Greeks and the Macedonians to conquer Persia. Now, Persia was the world power of the day. Massive world power. They conquered Babylon, for goodness sake. They were the reigning world power. And Alexander the Great takes his troops, these Greeks and Macedonians, they sail onto the shores of Persia, and he looks out at his men, and he looks at them, and he says, burn the ships. And this isn't, you know, the exact picture of what that looked like. But imagine, you're a soldier, greatly outnumbered by the strongest military force on planet Earth. And your commander just said, hey, burn the vessels that are our escape route. Burn them. Get rid of them. What was he doing there? What did that communicate? Hey, there's no going back. Our only option is moving forward together. We aren't just here to survive this thing. We are going to succeed. There's no opportunity to question, right? Like, hey, can we get back on? Nope. There's no hesitation. There's no doubt. No opportunity to reflect on what could be, to procrastinate. And some of us need to burn the ships in our marriage. Solomon says, don't let anything get in between you and your spouse. And if it's an old flame, if it's messages online, if it's just situations that you find yourself Put in, 
Some of you need to burn the ships. The jokes you tell, Elizabeth will tell you in our house, we don't talk about divorce. We just don't. We have burnt that ship. We don't joke about it. Even if we're kidding, that whole, ah, if my husband did that, I'd leave him so fast. Like, we don't joke like that. We just don't do it. Why? We're burning the ships. This is who God has given me to enjoy my life with. So we're not doubting, we're not hesitating, and we're not flirting with anything that can get in the way of that. And boy, do things try to creep in all the time. And we have to regularly talk about the things that are getting in the way of our ability to enjoy our life with each other and with our family that the Lord's given us. But some of us in here need to burn the ships. If there's something getting in the way of your marriage or your family, it is holding a place in your life that it should not have. And something has to give. And Solomon says, God has given you a great life. Enjoy it with your spouse and with your family. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. So he says, enjoy your life, enjoy it with your family. And now Solomon says, work hard. For what reason? Here's the reason. Solomon says that under the sun, once this life under the sun is over, now remember, he's, he's strictly talking about this life, not necessarily the afterlife. He's saying that, hey, um, once this life is old, over, and Sheol there um, means a lot of different things in scripture, but in the context here, he's just referring to um, what happens after you die. He's not necessarily talking specifically about heaven or hell. He's just talking about you no longer existing under the sun. He says, and when you get there, there's no more work to be done here on earth. There's no more thoughts. There's no more going back. There's no more saying, hey, I wish I would have done this more. I wish I would have worked a little harder. I wish I would have obeyed. I wish I would have received Christ. I wish I would have done all those things. He says, hey, once it's over, you face judgment and that's it. He says, you've got a fleeting life here. So enjoy it, work hard, burn the ships, love your spouse, invest in your family, disciple them, invest in them, but once you're gone, there's no ability to rethink your decisions. There's no ability to go back and do anything else. The work stops. The thoughts about what I could have done stop. So Solomon says, enjoy it while you can. And then he says this in verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Now he said something very similar to this a couple verses earlier in verse two of Ecclesiastes nine, and Chris talked about this last week. Um, but he says in verse two, he says, it's the same for all, since the same event talking about death happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice as the good one, is so the sinner and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath so what he's saying here is it doesn't matter if you're swift strong wise rich intelligent he says it doesn't matter what you've done on this earth that every single one of us is going to die and in this verse he says that time and chance happen to them all time and chance remember he's talking about life under the sun the secular perspective under the sun is that everything that happens to you in your life is just time and chance. It's just random atoms colliding together, right? This is the best the world can come up with with why we exist. Time and chance. That a random collision of atoms created this beautiful world we have with so much order and 
um, beauty and majesty, just one big happy little accident, as Bob Ross would say. This is what the world comes up with. Time and chance happens to us all. This is the perspective under the sun. And what Solomon means by this is, hey, look around at life, the rich, the poor, black, white, doesn't matter, righteous, wicked. It just seems like we're all experiencing this random chance of circumstances. But remember, Solomon's already told us all throughout this book that God is sovereign over every circumstance. The secular world looks and goes, man, what a random series of events. But the believer says, no, what a God who's intentional and is in control of every single thing. The watching world says we are just in this accidental experience and so try to leverage what comes your way to the benefit of yourself and to the detriment of the people around you. Just try to get ahead of the person next to you, leverage all of the randomness to your own benefit. The believer looks at the randomness of the world and says, no, 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 no. Our God is sovereign. Before our circumstances see our eyes, they've seen his. He's willed them, he's decreed them to be so, and he is leveraging every circumstance for his glory and for the good of his children. Uh, Many of you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot, um, her, excuse me, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband was a missionary who was killed uh, along with four of his friends um, at an early age, in their 20s, I believe, um, killed on the mission field uh, by a hostile tribe And uh, she eventually, after her husband died, um, her next two husbands all died of illnesses. And if you've ever read any Elizabeth Elliot, I would highly encourage you if you haven't, um, but she just has a great perspective on suffering and what looks like from the watching world, this random series of events that we go through. And what she says, here's one of her quotes, I'll share two of them with you, but she says, we're not adrift in chaos. We're held in the everlasting arms. And this makes a difference. We can be at peace and we can accept that, hey, this isn't just a bunch of chance, that the everlasting arms of God is holding us. And because of that, I can accept whatever he brings my way and I can be at peace. Um, many of you know Corey Ten Boom, if you've read The Hiding Place, an incredible book, highly recommend it. Um, her and her sister and her father were caught um, smuggling Jews during World War II to safety. Um, she's a Polish girl, Polish family. Um, father owned a watchmaking shop. And uh, they were using the shop in the apartment above to hide Jews in World War II and to, to um, smuggle them to safety. She gets caught, her and her sister and her father get put in a concentration camp. And there's just so many things you can learn from that book. But one of the things she says, and think about the context in which she says it. She says, there is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. And God's not panicking when you get sent to a concentration camp. God's not panicking when you get that diagnosis. God's not panicking when this circumstance comes your way and you weren't ready for it. That God doesn't have problems. He only has plans. And you can trust his plans even when you can't understand your circumstances. And we talk about God's sovereignty a lot. And John Piper says this. He says, God's sovereignty is not a code to be deciphered. It's a plan to be trusted. So many of us will lose sleep trying to understand what God is doing in every single circumstance that happens in in this life. And Chris talked last week, Solomon's told us faithfully that we just don't know the beginning from the end, as Solomon says. He's made everything beautiful in his time. And what's the next verse? And he has put eternity into every man's heart so that he will not know the end. 
that there's some things we're just not gonna understand. But we can trust God. We're not meant to decipher his providence and his sovereignty. We're just meant to trust him. And the last quote um, from Elizabeth Elliot, she says this, this is beautiful. She says, I'm convinced that there's nothing that can happen to me in this life that is not precisely designed by a sovereign Lord to give me the opportunity to learn to know him. That's what you were made for. John 17, verse three, this is eternal life, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That God is working everything in your life, the good, the bad, the trial, the death, the suffering, the heartbreak, so that you would know him in a deeper way. This is why he is working and this is what he is doing. Verse 12, Solomon says, for man does not know his time. Here we go again, we don't know. He says, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like the birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. And notice the word. Solomon has done this all throughout chapter nine, but notice the word he chooses for death. He calls it evil. He says it's an evil net and an evil time. Even in the midst of Solomon giving us the cold hard truth about life under the sun, He's not asking you to call death something great. He's not asking you to call it something amazing. That he reminds us, no, this is the result of sin. This is evil. This was not God's intent. This was not the design. You and I were meant to enjoy God and live with him forever. And our sin, the wages of our sin, the consequences of our sin are what has brought death. But he calls it evil. And nowhere in scripture is God asking you to call something evil good or to be excited about it. But we can trust God's sovereign hand in it. He's calling it evil. He's reminding us that it was never God's design. And the beauty of the gospel is that even in the midst of our sin that has brought evil, that has brought death, God has made a way for us to enjoy our lives eternally with him the way we were created to. And the only way you and I can do that is by putting our faith in Christ is by having an intimate relationship with the the creator of the universe, the one who created us. Um, A couple weeks ago, I was having lunch with Lloyd. Uh, Many of you know Lloyd Baker. Um, He, you might not know this, but Lloyd will be 89 in March. Is that correct? 89 years old in March. And uh, we're sitting in Tacos for Life like two weeks ago. And I just asked him, uh, had somebody challenge me to do this um, with more and more people. But I just asked him, like, Lloyd, what's it like to be 88 years old, approaching 89? And, you know, after we talked about the aches and pains and those kind of things, um, he told me, um, and this this has stuck with me since we met. He says, I'm convinced that every morning that I wake up that God's not done with me. He says, when you get to be my age, Every single breath is a gift. Every morning that you wake up. Like Lloyd has almost lived three times longer than Jesus. And he says, I'm convinced. God could have taken me years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. He says, when you're my age and you wake up, you're convinced that, hey, there's a purpose for me today. God's not done with me today. And you know what struck me? And I should have told him this, but it didn't hit me until I left. That's just as true for me as it is for him. That I'm not guaranteed my next breath. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. That the fact that you and I have woken up this morning is a free gift of God's grace. And it means that he's not done with us. That there's a purpose for you today. 
to make much of God and to enjoy your life and to glorify him in all that you do. So if the Lord wakes you up tomorrow, let's be just as convinced as Lloyd that God's not done with me, that he has a plan for me today, that he wants to use me. Second Corinthians five, he has reconciled us to himself. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. How does God want to reconcile your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and your neighbors to himself through your ministry of reconciliation? Pleading with the watching world, be reconciled to God in Christ. He's given you a purpose today. Beautiful. And then Solomon ends just giving us a quick, and we'll we'll look at this very quickly, but he gives us a quick reminder of the importance of wisdom. And as we began this passage, it takes wisdom to understand what life is all about. If you want to truly enjoy your life, you first have to understand, you have to have the wisdom to know why you were created and who created you, what you're created for. Without it, you will never enjoy your life. And Solomon reminds us of just how important wisdom is. And he says this through a story. He says, I saw this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. And then he talks about a city and we're not sure what city he's referring to, but he says, there was a little city with few men in it and a great king, a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. A poor wise man delivered the city out of the hands of this great strong king. And I love this, not by his might, but by his wisdom. And he says this in verse 16, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And here's the deal with biblical wisdom is that it is often unrecognized, especially to the lost world. And it is often unheard or appreciated. It's not always seen, it's not always appreciated, and in fact, we live in a world today where it's often scoffed at. Try to live this out to the watching world. Try to be faithful to one spouse and to live your life to please God and to leave your job and go home and invest in your kids. Watch how the watching world who doesn't understand the wisdom of God scoffs at you. What do you mean you're gonna be faithful to one person for your whole life? What do you mean? You're gonna leave the potential to to work a couple more hours and get a couple more percentage points on your bonus to go home and spend time with your kids, play ball in the front yard. What do you mean? Foreign to the world, unseen, unpraised, and often unappreciated. But what does Solomon say? That wisdom is better than strength. It doesn't matter how strong you are. One of the greatest regrets you will ever have is leveraging your life and spending your life investing in something that does not matter in the end. Strong, wise, smart. If you leverage all that God's given you to invest in something that does not matter and will not fulfill you, one of the greatest pains, and Solomon's already told us in chapter six, is you get to the end of your life and you realize you played the fool. That I didn't fear the Lord and I didn't enjoy the life. I kept chasing after something that I thought would satisfy me and it never did. Living a life sold out to Christ is foreign to the world. Loving your spouse and burning the ships and being sold out to one woman for life, for better or for worse, in sickness and in poor, till death do us part, is foreign to our world. Loving your family well instead of yourself is foreign to the world. 
Not putting your hope in wealth is foreign to our world. Working hard when it's time to work, but being able to leave work on time so that you can go home and enjoy your life and your family is foreign to our world. Loving God and trusting him in the midst of your suffering is foreign to the watching world. But here's what Solomon is saying. We don't follow Christ for the applause of men. We don't follow Christ for the praise of the world. We don't live for the appreciation of the crowd. We live for the pleasure of our Father. And the quiet whisper of wisdom is better than the loud praise of the world and of the fool. It takes wisdom to enjoy your life. It takes wisdom. It takes knowing who you are and why you were created and who created you and how you can be made right with him before you can ever enjoy your life. And Solomon says, hear the whisper of wisdom this morning. The world is constantly going to be giving you loud commands and challenges and temptations to go and try to find your fulfillment in everything under the sun. But Solomon ends by saying, hear the whisper of wisdom, that ultimate joy can only be found in the Lord. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Let's be clear. Solomon's told us the world's broken. There's suffering. There's hardship. Some of you were mourning the loss of loved ones this Thanksgiving. Solomon's not shy about the fact that this world is broken, but our hope is not under the sun. The beauty of the wisdom of the word is we know how the story ends. We know how all things are going to be made new. And as we close this morning, I just want to invite you, if you've never responded to the soft whisper of the wisdom of God to put your faith in Jesus Christ and be satisfied in him, don't leave today without talking to one of us about it. We would love to share the good news of the gospel with you and pray with you and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. But for the rest of us, do not fix your gaze on this earth. Do not let anything get in the way of your fear of the Lord, the love of your spouse, and enjoying the life that God's given you. Don't take anything that he's given you and make it a God thing. Make God a God thing and enjoy the life that he's given you. It takes wisdom to do that. It takes constantly reminding yourself afresh of the gospel, telling yourself as, as the world calls, hey, this is gonna make me happy. This job, this vacation, this is gonna satisfy us, reminding ourselves, no, I have all that I need in Christ and I know how the story's gonna end. And this is how the story ends. I wanna read it to you as we close. This is Revelation 21. John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, this life under the sun, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment." The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. If you're thirsty this morning, 
for joy that will never fade, for fulfillment that will never waver. Come to Christ. He offers it without price. It's a free gift of his grace. For the rest of us, let's be reminded of all we have in Christ. Fear him and enjoy the lot that he's given us. Amen? Father, we give you our worship. God, we're grateful for your word. God, I pray that as the enemy comes creeping this week, twisting, telling us lies, that there's something else that we lack that might bring us fulfillment and might bring us contentment. God, I pray that we would combat those lies with your word. It's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was tempted and he responded with, it is written. He combated the lies with the the truth of the word. And God, we don't just have it is written, we have it is finished. It's done. So God, help us to fear you above all else, to burn the ships, to enjoy the life that you've given us. God, it takes such wisdom to do that. Wisdom to see the lies and wisdom to remember the truth. So God, remind us afresh. We worship you, God, because we know how the story ends. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond.